Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Have you ever been captivated by someone? You probably have. You may not have thought about that recently, but in light of Valentine's week and preparing for today's message in Ephesians 4 as we jump back into our study of Ephesians. I started thinking about my first date with my now wife Kelly many, many years ago. We had joined First Baptist Clinton around the same time frame in high school. Kelly's two years younger than me. And yet we did not go out on our first date till I was a freshman at MC. It was kind of a long date. We um, we found that we were both going to be in Oxford. I was going to be in Oxford visiting with some buddies from Clinton that were going to school there. And she took advantage of a high school day to go visit the campus, probably got out of class. I don't think she had any intention of going to Ole Miss because they're big Bama people. But uh, it just kind of... It kind of worked out where we we had a long we had a long date on that Saturday. I was needing to get back. She was needing to get back. So we traveled all that way and spent some time with each other in the car. And then we uh, went out to dinner. And I, I tell you, <clears throat> I was I was captivated by this lady, and I, I really was. I, I thought you know we're still pretty young. And I had dated a few people, one primarily in high school. She dated a few people at her age. And, and yet, um, you'll have to ask her how she felt about it. I'll let her do that. Or her, her mother's here. She can tell you. But um, I, I really was. I was, I was captivated by, by Kelly because she checked a lot of the boxes. I knew her folks, great people, knew her family. And a lot of, a lot of friends were similar. And yet, because it was so young, we were so young, there were, uh, there were several years we needed to go through before we could really do anything about it and get married. We did get married. She was 19. I was 21, almost 20 and 22. So we were relatively young right before my, uh, my final year at Mississippi College. So we both dated some other people in between. I, I dare say that we probably both tried to go in another direction a couple of times. Uh, I'll let you talk to her about that or her mother. She can fill you in on that. But I, I can just tell you, I couldn't shake her. In other words, as hard as I may have tried to, to say, you know, this is it. I, I remember one time coming back after um, working at a summer camp all summer. It was a boys camp. We decided for that summer we were going to date other people. And I, I shouldn't have. You know, I didn't think through all that because I was at a boys' camp. We, we didn't have a whole lot of time, but she took advantage of that. And I found out about it. I came back. We got in the car, and I basically just said, look, I think it's over. You know, it's, it's, it's done. And she just grinned at me, like chuckled, like sure. And, uh, you know, that made me even more determined, but that lasted about two or three more hours after that. And captivated by this lady. Now, as a Christian, our first love is to be Christ. We're to be captivated by him. And as we continue our study in Ephesians, we've looked at chapter 1, 2, and 3. 
And we looked at it in the fall of last year primarily. And if you were not here for that, uh, that was dealing with a lot of doctrinal matters about how the church is to operate, about theological issues. You can go to the website if you want to catch up. But we took a break. And now we're at part two, beginning with chapter four. I'm going to look at verses one through six. These matters are more practical in nature. For example, there'll be a time where we will come to talk about what it means to have children and how to raise children, what it, what it means to be married and how that's supposed to function biblically and in a Christ-like way. There's a lot of practical things we're going to look at for a number of weeks and months now until we may take another break before we finish the book, uh, perhaps for the summer and jump back in. We'll see how things go and how many, how many verses that we read each time. But here we are in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. And it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, your version, your translation may say, Therefore, in other words, in light of everything that's been said, chapters 1, 2, and 3, this is how you ought to live. This is what your priorities ought to be. This is how you should be different in your home, in your workplace, and in the, uh, the culture in which you live. And it's applicable for today. Therefore, in light of all that, and this is Paul, remember, writing from prison. You talk about being captivated. He was captivated because of Christ, and he certainly had time to think through what it means to let Jesus be your first love. As a prisoner for the Lord then, therefore, in light of all this, I urge you, church, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, there's an urging, not to just do it for a day or two, a few hours. That word in the original language means ongoing. I urge you, show people that there's a difference, that you love me. You've been captivated by Christ. You're to be sought light. You're to be a little bit different than other people. And then in verse 2, it says, be completely humble and gentle. Those are co-partners. They go hand in hand. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Those go hand in hand. Verse 3, make every effort. In other words, as much as you can, and it's up to you, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. As a church, be a good example for your community. Be unified as much as you can. You don't have to wear the same outfit. You have to believe, uh, have, you have different personalities, different interests and abilities. But make sure, as much as it is possible with you, to be unified on the essentials and things that really matter. There is one body, verse 4, one spirit, just you were called, one hope. When you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. We're going to break all those down and... Uh, Point number three, and the Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So, the first thing we glean from our text is this. As far as what it looks like to be captivated by Christ. These could be attributes, indicators, signs to help us know, ooh, I think I am. Ooh, I need a little work. Ooh, I don't even know Christ. The greatest decision you can make is knowing him personally as Lord and Savior. God changed Paul's life. He was Saul. He was Paul. And God used him. 
Man, he used his past. And all of his past was not all good, but he used it for good. If you're here today, I'm glad you're here. It might be you've been a member of the church or you're visiting the church for the first time. The greatest decision you can ever make, though, is enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's more than just going to church and being a churchman or a church person. Jesus changes our lives. When when we come to Easter, which will be here before we know it, we're going to talk about the fact that the cross changes everything, everything. He changes everything. So the first thing that we see from the text attribute is this. You, we are a humble person. Humility. Biblical humility is very important when we follow Christ. And Paul was writing to a proud group of people. Rome, Nero. They were proud of their background and their heritage. They were haughty in their words, their vocabulary, and the way they related to family and friends and people in general. They were proud. And so this was intentional to say Christ makes us humble when we know him. Now, there's a difference between cockiness and confidence. Confidence in Christ and knowing who we are gives us great confidence and freedom to be who we are in Christ. Cockiness is because we think we're all that because of whatever reason. Maybe where we grew up, maybe the money we have, maybe because of the school we attended, maybe because you've been gifted as a musician or perhaps an athlete, maybe you're, uh, you make great grades. I, I don't know what it might be. There's a lot of different reasons. But even in our world today, there can be this elevation of self and people all about self, all about me, and we can have a misunderstanding in the world because sometimes that can creep in the church that we are to be humble. Gentleness goes hand in hand. John Stott once said this, humility is essential to unity. Aside from love, humility most distinguishes us from the rest of the world. And it can be one of the hardest traits to learn for us. Humility was not a virtue that the Romans and Greeks admired. As I mentioned, they were proud people. They frowned upon it. But Christ showed them a better way. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So as we are connecting to him, as we are abiding in him, then automatically we should bear the fruit of the Spirit. And that means there is a sense of humility in a person. They don't have to work it up. They just are. So in Matthew eleven twenty nine, it says that Jesus was gentle and humble in heart. And you remember one example of that. He washed the disciples' feet. Before he ascended to heaven, <clears throat> He took time, one of the last acts that he did, and he washed the disciples' feet. It can be defined this way, humility. An attitude of the heart that recognizes God's love and value of others and is willing to put their needs first. In short, here it is. If I was going to write down one thing about humility on this point, this is it. I think this guy got it right. Humility lights up others humility lights up 
others. They do everything they can to reflect glory to God and glory to other people that are living for God and doing godly things. Humility, a good sign or indication that we're on the right track, hadn't arrived, is lighting up others. Every day, God, wake up. God, thank you for the day. Help me, by your grace, to make a difference in another person's life. It can be in our family. It can be in our church family. It can be in the workplace. It can be somebody that sits by you in class. It can be somebody that you meet for the first time and may or may not ever see again. Lighting up others and blessing them and encouraging them. I saw a lot of that going on a few weeks ago in Night to Shine. There were so many people lighting up others. It wasn't about them and they got it. They were a buddy, and they're about lighting up others. Here's some quotes. It is not about humility. It is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. St. Augustine said this, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels or angelic-like. Thomas Merton said, Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. Secondly, we see from our text this indication that we've been captivated by Christ. We're more patient. You, we are more patient. Listen to Romans 2.4. It says this, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? The writer of Romans says in Romans 2.4, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Someone has said being patient is having a long temper or a long fuse instead of a short fuse. One described biblical a biblical perspective on being patient this way. Patient in the Bible is the ability to endure difficult people and situations without giving in to anger or giving up hope. Now, the Bible says be angry and sin not. It can be a God-given emotion and be channeled in the right direction and give us much energy and passion to do what God has called us to do or leading us to do in vision and direction or our purpose here on earth. Now, here's what I want you to do because I think this is a great example of understanding this major point number two. If you will, turn to Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Go to the middle of your Bible, turn right. You'll turn it. You'll run into it. But if not, just listen to me. I want to I talk to you a little bit about this. This is a book in the Bible back in my um, late 20s, trying to understand God's will for our life, my family, for the future. Knew God called me to ministry, but trying to wrestle with what that might look like 5, 10, 15 years from then. I was a student minister. I still Love teenagers working with college students. Had an opportunity to mix it up with some of them, uh, with Kelly at the, at the village this past week. And I just, I had, a, I had a blast. I don't know if they did, but I had a blast getting out there and throwing the football and doing different stuff. You know, t- t- teenagers keep you young. They're just, they're just a blessing. 
So I was wrestling with all that, trying to understand that. And even at my, I still uh, love teenagers, but I knew that God seemed to be prompting me to go in another direction, perhaps be a senior pastor. And I was wrestling with being patient and trying to understand it. And I came across this in Habakkuk. And in Habakkuk, this prophet is saying, God, would you please hurry? Look, these people, your people, the chosen people, are being abused. How long are you going to allow these evil folks to work on what's supposed to be your folks? I don't get it. You ever been there? You don't understand? You're trying to follow God's will? And I don't get it. And we can be impatient. By human nature, we can be impatient. But patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And that's where we're going here. So he's saying, I, I don't get it. And so here's, he's complaining. I love it because he's just dialogue. Don't you love The Bible is so honest. You got the good, the bad, the ugly. Some people, well, I don't know about the Bible. Well, what? It's very forthright. It's very honest. It's very practical when you understand it. So here's a back. Here's his complaint. He's just conversing with God. He wants us to converse with him. He wants us to talk. Talk with him. Share your heart with him. Ask him questions. Here's Habakkuk. He's a minor prophet. He's doing that. So he says in chapter 1, verse 2, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Oh, cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife. Conflict abounds. Therefore, the law's paralyzed. The justice never prevails. The wicked, him and the righteous... So that justice is perverted. Can you see? He's, he's, I don't understand this. These mean, wicked people, these evil people, they're misusing your people, your people. What's going on with that? The Lord answers. Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I love it. He, he didn't say, what are you, hey, who are you to say something like he just he's saying look look at the nations and be amazed he's reminding him that he is God and Habakkuk's not he's a spokesperson for him but he's not God and so he gently reminds him look and be amazed so here's here's the second complaint Habakkuk in chapter in verse 12 of one Lord Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. This is retribution that's going on. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous, Lord? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? So even though God answers, he comes back. And he has another complaint. He said, God, I just don't understand. How long is this going to go on? Chapter 2, the Lord answers again. Verse 2, then the Lord replied. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. So that the herald, not the H-A-R-A-L-D, the H-E-R-A-L-D may run with it. In other words, the herald that shares the good news, that explains things. Some people say this is why it's important to have a vision. When God gives us a vision, write it down. They often use this text. For the Revelation, verse 3, awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait. For 
it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And then by the end of the chapter, just look at verse 16b. Man, it's like Habakkuk's had this conversation. He's thought through it. He's prayed through it. He's listened to God. He's got a whole different perspective. He says, yeah, I, 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 I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. That little book right there will help set us free today. If we're wondering, God, when? When? Why? what he's sovereign he says i'm in control trust me know my timing he reminds us that we need to stay close and we need to be patient why do we need to communicate with god in this matter of patience why would i go back to a minor prophet as an example as a cross reference this is why because some people And all of us can be guilty of this at times. Some people use it as an excuse at times for not addressing wrong. There's a time for everything under the sun. Please do not allow the enemy or others to dupe you into thinking you are to avoid doing what is right due to your misunderstanding of patience. That's very important before we go to point number three. Biblical patience patience so how how do we know we stay in close communication with god to learn what patience is when to stay still when to keep trusting him and when to move to learn patience and to not allow it to be an excuse for not doing what is right don't misunderstand biblical patience but no that is an indication biblically That's a fruit of the Spirit that we've been captivated by Christ. Humility, patience, and thirdly, from our text, you're not polarizing. We're not polarizing. Chuck Swindoll said once, in a divine, warring, wounded world, which we live in today, by the way, the most powerful testimony the church can give is genuine unity prompted by true love and shown in the example of peace. This reflects the reality of God like nothing else on earth. The reason that is so important for a church is because if there is a pattern and a consistent Um, example of disunity it can take years perhaps decades to recover that reputation of being more christ-like in all ministries and for the future and so we want to do everything that we can to protect the unity which means doing what is right in god's timing and his way and trusting him with the results Even when we think, man, if I do this, I don't know what's going to happen. We trust God and we understand what this passage means. Let me break it down when it goes through the one body, one spirit. There's seven facets in this passage today of what it means to be unified in one. One body, 
Jews and Gentiles make up a single harmonious fellowship of believers. All believers everywhere. Romans 12, 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Meaning, in Christ, we may have a different education. We may have a different color of skin. We may live on the other side of the world. We may have a trip going to Las Vegas where they meet people that also love Jesus. Not everything that you hear about Vegas is what happens in Vegas. Not everything that happens stays in Vegas because there are people that leave Vegas after meeting Jesus and their missionaries as well. And so we have to understand we are one, one body. One spirit. Secondly, the spirit indwells each believer. Romans 8, 9. When we are in Christ, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. There's no two-part here. It's one part being affirmed and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Sure, we can, be, we can mature and grow in our faith and be filled with the Spirit, but we have the Spirit at the moment of conversion. One spirit. Doesn't say one Southern Baptist. It says one spirit. There are people that can be one, all of these ones, that aren't in the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's just be sure and be reminded of that. One body, one spirit, thirdly, one hope. Our promise of going home to heaven one day, Titus 2.13. One Lord, number four. He alone is the reason we come together. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. One faith, John 3.16, we're familiar with. Christ breaks down all dividing walls that our world puts up. In Jude chapter 3, one faith. One baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but most theologians believe this is referring to water baptism. We publicly proclaim our faith in Jesus through water baptism. We believe the Bible teaches biblical baptism by immersion. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then number seven, one Father. Our unity is formed through the Trinity. Go back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You can see the the the. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, clearly right there in that passage. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. One Father. Before we leave this third and final point this morning, the word polarizing. We can find people in the Bible at times that were polarizing. And you find different kind of personalities and people, which we have today. That's why it's still so real and fresh. But there were some that were polarizing. And they may not have known that at the beginning or for a time. Think about the disciples. I think most of us would say, we eventually learn that Judas tried to polarizing. But there's another one, Demas. And we won't go into Demas today. I'm, I'm thinking about him for a hot topic for a hot summer, maybe this summer. Maybe we'll have a whole sermon on Demas. But if you look up Demas and you study him, he was at one time by the Apostle Paul's side doing missionary work, encouraging him, doing great work in starting the church and helping strengthen churches. And then the Bible says that he left because he fell in love with the world. Folks, disunity is an instrument of the devil. So we must stay alert. Listen, anytime God is working in any church, first of all, you know it's God. 
you have his favor that man can't orchestrate it. It's God. And by his grace, we're being used, our resources are being used, facilities being used, ministries being used. But you know that you know, if you've been around long enough, this ain't nobody but God. And I can tell you this, the devil hates it. He'll try to come in the back door. Now, here's the thing. We don't need to be scared. No. But the Bible does say we need to stay alert. We need, we need to stay alert. So we trust God, and we protect the unity the best we can. And we do the extra, some things that we may not want to do or wish we didn't have to do in order to protect the long-term unity of Christ's church, captivated by Christ. Now, here's where we are. As we've looked at these characteristics and these examples, we think, okay, I'm not sure I've never met Christ. Then why don't today, when we stand and we sing, come down, talk to a staff member. They'll not embarrass you. They'll hook you up with a counselor. And you talk about the most important decision you'll ever make. And it may be you find out you have met him. You just hadn't talked to him lately. You hadn't followed through with your decision on believer's baptism. There may be something else you need to talk about. It may be that you were captivated at one time, but slowly and gradually you drifted away. And maybe you need to think about that as you sing. Maybe you need to come to the altar and do business with God. Maybe you need to come talk to a counselor. Maybe you need to make a step, take a step of something or some decision or conversation after the service. You decide what God is leading you to do. But what does it mean to be captivated? You meet Jesus. You meet him personally, genuinely. You abide in Jesus, John 15. If I abide in you, if you abide in me, I will, you will bear much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing, and you obey him. You meet Jesus, you abide in him, and you obey Jesus. You do what he wants you to do, whatever that means for you and for me. Dear God, may we be captivated by you, and may we use this invitation as a a spiritual evaluation time to see if we genuinely have been or are. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand for our invitation. Our staff will be here to receive you. You respond as God leads you to do so.